0: We have been in the middle of a sermon series that we've been doing called Jesus' Guide to Healthcare Reform, and we've just been looking at this whole idea of how do you get healthy again? We started off Kind of looking at ourselves and asking ourselves, Is there anything in our lives right now that would make Jesus sad? And it, and it started to spur some ideas and thinking in our lives, and it started to point to us uh, two places in our lives that maybe need to be changed. And so, we've been looking through this process of how do you change for the healthier. And today, I want to kind of build on that and talk to you about the next step in the Beatitudes. And that's this whole idea that if we want to um, build these changes in our life, if we want to get the, rid of the things that are making God sad in our life, how do we build it in such a way that we can finish strong? Because how many of you guys have ever started a diet? Just show of hands. Anybody ever started a diet? How many of you guys have ever finished? Well, I shouldn't say it that way. You've quit diets. How many of you ever finished a diet to completion? Just show of hands. Wait, there's fewer. Like, there's none. That's crazy. So we're great starters at a lot of things. And we're especially great starters at things that are hard overcoming bad habits, getting rid of certain things that we're doing in our life, the things that make God sad, the things that are hard to just root out of our lives. We are awesome starters. Every New Year's, we, in fact, will put one of these things on our New Year's resolution. This is the year I'm finally going to quit blank. And so the question is just how do you bring these changes to completion? How do you finish strong? How do you not quit? How do you not give up in the midst of this process? I've talked to a lot of people last over last several weeks that have they said, Pastor, we've, we've made some commitments to things that we're going to change in our life, and we've seen we've gotten to be, receive some hope that, that there's a way through this, that it's possible, that we can get to the other side, but it's just hard. and And so, how do you finish? Is the question that they keep asking? Is it possible? And of course, the answer is absolutely. And it's interesting as you take a look at this because I think God today gives us some hope to overcome. And so the question, again, is how How do you sustain any kind of change that you make in your life, that you're working on in your life? And the answer comes to us in this form. I think what Scripture encourages is to develop habits, healthy habits that sustain us. And so now we're again back to looking at developing things in our life, and how do we not quit? How do we develop these healthy habits in our life so that we have this healthy outlook moving forward? And and I say this is important because faith is an action step. I shared the story with you countless times about the elder that came to my house. It was my housewarming at my first church and I had picked up a bunch of chairs and a, and a table right off the side of the road and I put a tablecloth over it just because I wanted there to be furniture in my house, you know, when people came over. And it made it look really nice and put the chairs really close so that nobody would possibly sit on it. And this guy was like 6'5", and he came and he took a chair out and he sat on it and it went bam. And I said the rest of the time he knew me and he'd been over to my house a whole bunch of times he was always a little leery sitting down in my chairs. So, it's one thing for me to say I believe that this chair will hold me up. But until I sit on it, it's just words. Until you put your faith into action, it's just words. It's intellect. It's, it's knowledge. But it's not trust. Now, just like the elder, how many of you in life have had something happen to you that has let you down? Everybody, right? So, it's hard to trust in our world today, isn't it? Sometimes it's hard to trust the words, even of people in our family, our neighbors, people that we work with. It's hard to trust the motives or intentions, sometimes of the government or even our bosses. It's hard for us to trust. And the crazy thing about God is he says, I want to start there, I want you to trust me because that's where my promises are and that's where my power is. That's where peace comes from, all those different things. And if faith, after all, is an action word, then what are these healthy habits that we can implement into our life that will sustain us going forward? Scripture actually gives us some words on this. And I'm I'm just gonna, there's a line in Hebrews that was just read. It says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because I think that's our tendency. When anything sounds hard or we've heard it before, we tend to harden our hearts and we tend to dispel things. And yet, God gives us three things, three habits, healthy habits, if you will, that if we implement them into our lives, we can find strength to keep on going, and that's what he's talking about. And so one of the first things he gives us is this. He says it's important for us to set aside a daily time with him to get real and honest. And scripture says to meditate on his word day and night, right? To to, to take time out. Why is it so important for us to get real and honest? Because most of the time we don't want to, or we're too busy to, or we just— it's too much effort to, or we'll have to look at it, and we'll feel bad, so we just kind of avoid things. I shared with you last week that one of my buddies is going through a divorce or in the process of just really struggling, and I said the reason so much of this is happening is because neither one has gotten honest with the other person about what's going on. They're not even willing to get honest to save their marriage. This week, he finally did, so we'll see what happens. Finally, somebody was honest. And it started a dialogue and that can only be good you can't solve anything until you put it on the table until you get honest and real about what is in life it's so important that we find in these times so scripture talks about a daily reflection and evaluation it's kind of like looking at gauges in your life, or like gauges in your car, right, where you ask the honest and honestly assess, you know, how am I doing with my anger today? How am I doing with my lust? How am I doing with my thought life, with my gossip, with my schedule? And you get an accurate view, right, if you look at these gauges in your life about what is. But just like in the car, they're only valuable if you take time to notice them. If you don't notice the speedometer in your car, that's one of your gauges, right? Is it easier to get a ticket? Yeah, yeah. Not that I know what that's like. I'm just saying, you know, it's easier to get a ticket. My buddy growing up, he had a car that barely worked. Sometimes we'd have to, to spray stuff into the, I don't, even, I don't know cars, but somewhere into the gas thing so that it would start when we turned the ignition. His speedometer didn't work, so we were kind of always guessing how things were going. Um, it's amazing that we're alive today, but, you know, a cool car to grow up with. Um, they're only valuable, again, if you look. So setting aside time every day to evaluate and reflect on your day gives you the time. Paul encourages us this, this, this aspect in Galatians 6. He says, each one of us should test our own actions. Each one of us should set aside a time daily, right, to reflect, to confess our failures, and even to thank God for the areas that he's come through where we've seen victories in our life. And I stand before you and I assure this stuff, even though it's stuff that you know, right, or stuff that makes sense, because I have this deep sense of conviction that one of the gaping holes in the lives of most modern Christians today is this inability to experience solitude any time of quiet. I want you to think about your last 24 hours. How much time did you spend alone and in quiet without your iPhone, without a computer, without a television? It's hard to just spend time in quiet. But if we're always attached to something or somebody, it's hard to ever get real, isn't it? I won't ask you to raise your hand, but how many of us spend hours on time wasters? You know, there's all sorts of games on apps that you can get, the, the, the Candy Crush, and, the, and you name it, that we can spend hours and hours and hours. It used to be Tetris, right? And we waste so much time. Why do we do that? So that we can stop thinking for a while. So we don't have to engage. So we can fill the remaining time in our day so that we don't have to actually look at anything. We do have this inability or this unwillingness to spend time. And so we just don't do this very well. But this is what's happened. We've sacrificed this amazing time with God where he can enrich us with his word and strengthen us with his promises and and, and, and be there to comfort our needs and and our hurts and our struggles and and be there to give hope and all these kinds. And we replace that with the busyness of our days and the rush of trying to do everything My life is such right now that I used to think it was hard when we had kids at home in preschool and they were just running around and you had to watch them like every second. Now I just have to drive them every second. I mean, it seems like we're just driving everywhere. And and it's easy just when you get a moment just to relax, just to just want to zone out and just, but there's more to it. There's a story of some rich Americans and got together and they planned this adventure of a lifetime. And they planned a two-week African safari. They saved their money. They brought the tickets. They mapped out the safari. They hired some guys. They enlisted the help of some locals who were to carry the packs and equipment. The Americans arrived on the plane, met with their team, mapped out the strategy for the next day. They arose early and began their trek into the jungle. They pressed hard and went far into the, far into the jungle on that first day. As the sun was setting down, they pitched the tents, they set up camp for the night. Early the next morning, the Americans, again, were early, eager with anticipation to get further into the jungle, but they noticed that their African counterparts were not ready to move. So in frustration, one of the Americans went and said to one of the guides, what's the problem? And he said, these men are waiting for their souls to catch up with their bodies. I like that phrase. There is a sense in which we live at such a pace in our lives today that there is a lot of us that are waiting for our souls to catch up with our bodies. But you can't live at warp speed, not for very long. You can't live at warp speed without some sense of ending up warping your spirit or your soul. In fact, if you study Jesus' life, you see that he did just the opposite. There was time after time after time where he withdrew and spent time alone. In Mark 1, it's one of those times. It says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left his house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. See, a fulfilling, empowering connection with God cannot develop in busyness. And so when I read a passage like this one in Mark, man, there's a longing inside of me for more of that kind of time in my life. And it starts making me look at my schedule and thinking I've got to figure out how to get more time with God in there. More time that's quiet, more time looking at myself because if I never, if I never look at what's going on in my life, I just continue rushing forward. And the things that I ought to change because they're destructive or they're causing complication in my life, I just keep putting off and off and off until you end up in the hospital bed, right? Or until something of of tragedy strikes, until you're looking at a divorce, you just keep pushing it off so that you don't have to deal. But we need time to reconnect with Jesus. And so he gives us that thought and it's so important that we find this time and then he goes on to give us a second piece and it's this, we need to begin to build Bible truths, biblical truths into our lives. Now, I'm not sure where you are with this, right, but it's my experience and my conviction that the Bible is no ordinary book. It's not only truthful and accurate, but it is powerful and supernatural to produce change in your life. A lot of us are going through the Truth Project, and one of the reasons I love the Truth Project is because of this, because it makes people uncomfortable, right? You can't go through the 13 weeks without realizing at some point you've bought into one of the lies that he's exposing, and it makes you uncomfortable because he uses all sorts of scripture. It's awesome, and he backs up everything he's saying. It's awesome, and so you're looking at what God said versus what you want to think, and it causes discomfort. And so often when we want to stay here, for those of you that are doing the study, it's like we want to put God back in the box. And who determines what's in the box? We do. And so who's God? Well, not the transcendent God. It's now us. The thing I just throw at you, and it doesn't matter what it is that makes you uncomfortable, if God said it, God had the power to do it, then why don't you believe it? And it's because we like to put parameters around what we accept from God. But here's the deal. If you don't believe what he said and you don't believe the truths that are in Scripture, what are you basing your faith on? It's the revealed word of God. It's our experience with him. What are you basing it on? And if you can pick and choose what you accept and what you don't accept, and you're the author of what stays in the Bible and what doesn't, it should be a red flag saying that something's something's not right with your faith and so when we get to this thing like biblical truths it's hard to build these truths in your life if you don't really believe what you believe is really real is that fair i'll give you an example of that well let me go through this and then i'll give you an example of that i'm convinced as a result of that that the bible is not some dusty book with outdated stories that are no longer relevant for the 21st century it is powerful it is practical. In, verse, uh, in Hebrews 4, it gives this awesome line. It says, the word of God is living and active. It's a living word. And sharper than a double-edged sword, penetrating t- to dividing soul and spirit. In other words, God has this ability to go to a place in us that nobody else can go to, to reveal us for who we are and what we need to do. It's amazing. The word of God is powerful to transform us from the inside out. And I love in Ephesians where Paul is talking about this life of the spiritual battle that we live in. He says that one of the weapons that Christians are to use is this, to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And interestingly here, there are two words for sword. He could have used the word that describes a four-foot sword, which is very heavy and had to be held by both hands and wielded back and forth for mass destruction. He did not use that word here. The word he uses, rather, is the word that means an 18-inch dagger. It was a weapon that was used for precision and force. And Paul is saying here that that's what the word of God is to be for us. Something that can be used accurately and precisely to give us comfort or wisdom or hope or strength. So here's the point. You and I are to build a reservoir of God's truths in our life. So that when we are facing temptations or trials or, or decisions or or circumstances that are just overwhelming us, that we have a reservoir of truth to draw on so that we can make decisions like God would make, so that we can begin to understand how God would think and how God would act. You're to build your life on these truths. And then when you do, you'll find that you become more patient and a little bit more loving and a little kinder and, a little, and your character will begin to change little by little. Why? Because God is starting to work through it. I'll give you an example of that. How many of you have ever had something in life that has been unfair to you? Eh, eh, Nobody. Okay, a few people. Great. Most of us have, I think. Our whole world, though, is built, at least in America, on this idea of fairness, right? It's why we have referees and officials, umpires at every sporting event. It's why we have instant replay to make sure that it actually happened the way it actually happened. And then you're even frustrated with that because you're convinced the way you saw it is different than what they just called. And yet all of us have experienced things that are unfair in life. And one of God's truths that is super important to not just know but then to believe in times like that is that God works all things for the good of those who love him. I'm a USC fan, sadly. We are having a brutal season and it will become more and more important to me as I go through the season to know what the score is before I start watching the game because I tape every game. I will watch them anyway. But it is so much more fun watching a game when I know the end result if they win. (laughs) Because when they're down by 20, I can say, man, the last part of this game is going to be nuts, awesome. And I can not get all torn up and mad and grumpy while they're losing by 20 because I know what the end result's going to be. I know they're going to win. It's a different kind of attitude than when you're going through it live, isn't it? When they're down by 20, you're throwing pillows around. You're, you're working hard not to say anything that's unkind. You're, you're just you're really struggling because you're frustrated at how your team's doing. So God gives us these words of promise that I work all things for the good of those who love me. So you know at the end of the game that you win. At the end of the game that God changes this horrible thing somehow and turns it into something Beautiful. You know that somehow he'll sustain you that somehow he'll get you through that somehow he gives you hope in the midst of that that somehow some way he will work it for good in your life and it can change the way you handle those difficult situations as you walk through it's specific and it's direct for those specific situations in your life where you need to hear those words more than anything else but it's a test too do you believe god's truths do you really believe that what you believe is really real If you do, it can't help but transform you. It can't help but reshape you. And God's saying it's so important that we do that. And then he builds on that a third one. And it's just we need to take time to talk to God throughout the day. This is the the prayer part, right? Paul in Colossians 4 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. You see, the reality is we have a heavenly Father who loves you unconditionally, who wants to spend time with you all the time, who really does care about you in your life, who wants to talk to you. It's an amazing amazing thing that we have somebody who's that into us, but that's the heart of prayer. It's just like talking to your heavenly Daddy, right? We call him Abba, Father. And think about the last time you used the word Daddy. What was the situation? What was... What was the reason that you chose that term? God says, I want you to have that same intimacy with me. That's how God wants you to see him. That's how God wants you to talk to him. You don't have to use any special words. You don't have to be in any special place. You don't even have to have your eyes open. Unless you're driving, then I really encourage you that you keep your eyes open. But you just can talk to God and you can be yourself. He wants that kind of intimacy. I I heard a story one time of a college student uh, who was asked to, to do the prayer, opening the worship at a, a little tiny church, uh, a little traditional church that had a little traditional service, but they really thought a lot of this kid, and they wanted him to open it in prayer. And so in this very quiet, solemn moment with a lot of older people in the room, this guy got up and he started the prayer, Dear Daddy, you could hear the gasp in the room, the pacemakers were going into overdrive because the church, you know, this church at least, you just didn't address God like that. Now, obviously, you can look back at that and say maybe his timing wasn't great, right? But his theology was right on. We can come to God just like that. We can come to God like we could our own dad. We can talk to him in a normal, everyday conversation because he is just that, he's our father. In fact, Jesus admonished us in Matthew 16 in relationship to prayer, and he said this. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find a quiet, secluded place that you won't be tempted to role-play before God. I like that translation, role-play before God. When I was doing campus ministry, and it's two kids, and there's a group of 40 of us, we go around sometimes, we just pray for each other, and there's these two kids that try to outdo each other each day in prayer. And every time we pray, they're trying to pontificate these amazing kind of things, use just lofty, churchy words, and nobody understood half the things they were saying, but they just wanted to sound the coolest, you know? They wanted people to come up afterwards and say, that was just so beautiful. And I called them on this again and again, but that's what God's talking about. And he says, I want you just to focus on me and not what everybody else in the room thinks. I don't want you to role play. So he continues on. He says, find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God and just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. Just be yourself. Just talk to God. Tell him whatever is on your heart. He wants to hear from you. And so you set a time, this daily time for evaluation. You immerse yourselves in biblical truths and you trust what he says. He says, we talked to god throughout the day and then here's one final thought as i was reflecting on our schedule this week and driving to and fro throughout the valley from school to swim to tennis to church to work and then helping them with homework doing actual work practices feeding the kids taking care of the stuff at the house and then wondering how we were going to do it all again next week i found myself um, up about midnight one night and i was trying to think of words to say in the sermon, and so I turned on the radio just hoping for some inspiration, and a song came on, and it was entitled, Jesus, Lover of My Soul. And I started thinking about that as I was writing this, and I was thinking, you know, that's ultimately what this is all about. When we talk about spending time with God, we're we're talking about spending time with Jesus. When we're talking about reading the Bible, we're talking about getting to know Jesus on a personal level, knowing his truths, knowing the way he cares about us. When we're talking about prayer, we're just talking about talking to Jesus. And in the end, that's what sustains us. It's connecting with Jesus in a real way as we journey through life, especially as we journey through some of these changes. We need his resource. We need his promises. We need his truths to get us through. And without his spirit helping us, life is just too hard. So my prayer today is that you would Spend some time with Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. Let us pray. God, we love you so much. And you know, as we talk about these different habits, sometimes they can cause a, uh, I don't know, another sense of overwhelmness. Oh, great, something else I have to work into my life. But Father, as we talk through these, each one of these is meant to be an energy giver and not an energy taker. They are meant to be times in our life where we Connect with you in a real way that gives us strength and hope and perseverance. Time with you in ways that give us wisdom to understand our problems differently. (laughs) And sometimes just the comfort of hearing that we're forgiven and we're still loved by you no matter what we've done. Father, I pray as we're talking through this whole idea of getting healthy again that you would help us see how important working these kind of things into our life are. We need you in this life. Life is too hard without it, and we can't just depend on a -a once-a-week visit with you on Sunday. We need you every day. And so I pray that you would send your spirit, and you would have that effect in our lives today, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen.